What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Wednesday, November 24th, or better known as the day before Thanksgiving. We're talking Rule 5 draft, though. We're not talking football. We're talking about the most in-the-weeds baseball thing I think possible. And we've got the guy who's just been diving through the weeds uh, for the last week or so, looking at all the Rule 5 prospects and just the rules in general of the entire thing, because it's absolutely nuts. It's Ryan Miller, contributor uh, for JustBaseball.com, doing a little bit of everything from prospects college, everything in between. But this is your Just Baseball Show debut. I'm a little nervous. I hope I don't regret it. But Ryan Miller, everybody, here he is. Yeah, yeah, I don't think you'll regret it. But this Rule 5 draft thing, I mean, it's just been something that I've been diving into just because of how intricate it is. And my niche has always been prospect. So it's very, very interesting to me. Yeah, well, something that's important, I think, in this Rule 5 is that it's almost like two draft or two classes built into one, right? Because we had no 2020 season, which delays development by a year, roughly. I mean, you had some guys at the alternate training site. There's some exceptions, but roughly you were delayed of knowing where your prospects are at by a year. So there's a very reasonable uh, hypothesis that this would be one of the most loaded Rule 5 draft classes we've seen in a while, right? And you're putting together an article. By the time that this podcast is out, the article will have been published, and it's all of the best prospects and uh, guys to really keep an eye on ahead of the Rule 5 draft. I mean, this has got to be one of the more talented classes, quote unquote, that we've seen because of that canceled season, right? Yeah, so it's actually kind of crazy because normally um, Rule 5 drafts are pitcher heavy, and there are definitely some good arms this year, but my kind of observation is that there's a lot of really good hitters here. Um, I know we talked before this about some guys who we wanted to highlight, but yeah, so um, usually they 
go pitcher heavy. Last year was extremely pitcher heavy. Uh, the one hitter, notably, is Akil Badu that got selected. But, yeah, so this year there's a lot of good outfielders and infielders and even catchers, which don't get picked a lot. Well, and that's an important note, too, because I think when, when you look at the development delay, of course, it's going to affect hitters a lot uh, with, with guys just needing at-bats, and, and you just don't get as much of a view on these guys where you can see stuff. And there's guys in high A with two pitches that you could probably throw into a bullpen, but they're not getting thrown into a big league bullpen because you want to develop them as a starter and, and slow roll them. That's where the rule five gets interesting. And I think before we dive into the prospects, we have to probably explain uh, a little bit of the rules as to why it will make sense that there are so many pitchers usually drafted instead of hitters. When we go through the rules, it kind of explains that. I think some people have a general idea, but you know, it's, it's a pretty in the weeds thing, like I said. So for those listening who, who could be solid baseball fans and just not really waste too much time with this, because generally, you know, it's, it's a marginal impact on your team. But I think we're starting to see with how deep talent is through baseball. The impact is more and more uh, with how much you can actually help your big league team with the rule five draft. So one I think we'll talk about why it's a reason or why there should be people paying attention to this a little bit more, especially this year. But let's get into the rules a little bit and the basics of it, Ryan. So you can kind of just explain this rule five draft for uh, the average baseball fan who, who wants to understand it a little bit more and how it might be able to help their team. Yeah. So whoever came up with these rules definitely need a raise because I don't think I could have thought of a better way to do it, honestly. I mean, this has been going on for years, but right now the rules are, so for player eligibility, first thing, you cannot be on your team's 40-man roster. That's why last Friday on the 19th, that was the deadline to protect players. So now minor leaguers can't get selected. So from the 19th to the day that we pick for the Rule 5 draft, all those players stay the same. Um, For eligibility, if you sign before you're 21 years old, which is the usual um, signing kind of age for college guys, but for uh, minor leaguers who come from Latin America for um, high school picks, uh, they need five years of minor league service. Um, If you sign after you're 21, you only need four years. So it's kind of like, you know, giving the high school guys an extra year of development, which can work in their favor but a lot of guys who get picked in the rule five draft are college guys which just shows you know going to school for three or four years works in their benefit when it comes to um, general development Um, for a team to select a player it costs a hundred thousand dollars which to a big league team isn't really anything and they need to remain on their team's 26 man roster for at least 90 days. This does not include injury list time. So for last year, for example, the pirates picked number one overall, and they also did something which is pretty common. They acquired a player as soon as they were selected. So they picked Jose Soriano out of the Los Angeles angels organization. He just got Tommy John surgery. So he never, spent a day on the big league roster because he was rehabbing. He was later returned to the angels, but they traded for a guy named Luis Oviedo who, you know, signed out of Latin America and only had four years of minor league service. He ended up only being 21. So if you want to remove a player from your 26 man roster, it costs $50,000 for the player's original organization to take them back. So that's the first 
team that gets a shot at these players. Um, and then after that, if they pass through waivers, they can be outrighted to the minor leagues. But if somebody claims them during that period, they must remain on the team's 26 man roster and all rule five rules still apply. So I, that, that was an excellent description of, of the whole thing. And uh, for those who might be wondering, why, are, why do they do this? Uh, this is actually one of the few good things in baseball in terms of, of service time, in terms of service time manipulation and all of those things. This is a small fix to that, right? Where if you're a player that's being stashed in the minor leagues and you're not getting an opportunity in the big leagues, a perfect example would be, you know, you use a close to home example with the Pirates. I'll use a close to home example with with the Marlins. Bryson Brigman absolutely had a fantastic year in AAA. You know, he's not a superstar. He's a 26-year-old minor leaguer who, you know, put up a 110 WRC plus and can play all over the field defensively. And he's a good athlete. That's a guy that should have got a chance at the big leagues for whatever reason he didn't. I can right. promise you that there's going to be teams interested in having a guy like that who could you know instantly be a utility guy with a good hit tool uh, on your ball club. The Marlins didn't call him up and I'm sure, I mean, I don't want to speak on his behalf. I'm sure he was frustrated that he did not get an opportunity last season. Now the rule five draft either forced the Marlins to add him to the active roster where then they would have to give him an opportunity next year or, or the 40 man roster, excuse me, or another team has to add him to the active roster. The Marlins didn't add him to the 40 man. So I, I would assume he's going to be someone that, that could get scooped up. And if he does get scooped up now, he's getting forced right onto a big league club. If he doesn't get picked up, then maybe it says something about the fact that he hasn't been brought up and maybe the Marlins are right about his value and we're missing something. So it kind of gives teams an opportunity to voice how much they value their player. And if another team values your player more, then they can show it by paying $100,000, like you said, is a drop in the bucket and, and take that player in. The, the really important part about it, though, is that what makes the decision tough is that, like you said... If you don't keep him on your active roster, the other team has an opportunity to buy him back for $50,000. And most teams will take that opportunity, right? They want to take that player back. Most of the time, it's just because there's a roster crunch. You have your 40-man roster totally filled, and you don't want to put a guy through waivers or release somebody or, or drop somebody off your 40-man. And that's the juggle is you know trying to balance future and present you can now get that guy back for 50 grand. You're going to do it. So that's the tough decision for these teams. When you go to the rule five draft is you're looking for a prospect that you one think is going to continue to develop and be a good piece, but two, either you can stash because you have the ability to do it, or you think can actually find a way to compete at the big league level. Generally speaking, that's going to be a bullpen arm because you can kind of protect those guys where you throw them in the fifth inning of a blowout game. Like every bullpen has that guy anyways, that you're not putting in high leverage. And, and that could be that rule five guy, you know, and the Marlins had two guys that they drafted in the rule five uh, last year that were kind of those middle inning innings eaters. By the end of the year, Zach pop ended up being a pretty good back end arm for them. It makes more sense. It's easier with relievers, but you talk about how this is a loaded class with bats. That's a big risk. Akil Badu last year was a huge risk that paid off. The Tigers were able to take that risk because they knew, hey, we're not really competing next year. They ended up being a lot better than we thought. And Badu was a big part of that. Badu had never played more than 30 games above low A. And that's what made the decision as crazy as it was. It's like, you got to now throw this guy into the big leagues and see if he sinks or swims. 
he he swam and he was great. But if he wasn't, then, you know, the Tigers could say, hey, we took a chance on a high upside prospect, didn't work. And, and now the Twins could get a shot at buying him back for 50K, which they would have. So that was the interesting situation here. And, and I think we're seeing it now this year with a lot of interesting high upside offensive prospects. Generally, it's, it's pitching heavy, but you will see those shortstops that are polished, that have good gloves, that can kind of slot in as utility guys, be options as well. But I would say that there's probably a higher rate of success with pitchers because, like we said, you, you really only need to have two good pitches to be a decent bullpen arm uh, for a ball club. And I think that's what most teams are looking for here, right, in this Rule 5. Yeah, so that's definitely the case. And that's why Rule 5 drafts are way more pitcher heavy than hitters because hitters can be very risky. But if you're a guy at double A, maybe made some high A appearances, your fastball reaches triple digits and you have a good slider, you can work in a bullpen. Um, the Pirates, like I said, uh, picked, well, they didn't select Luis Oviedo, but they um, acquired him back in a trade. He ended up spending the entire season on the roster just because of a thin bullpen. But he'll probably end up starting the year in double A this year. So it's kind of like you get them, you get some talent in your organization, and then after that, you can send them down to the minors and continue their development as maybe a starter. Yeah. And and there's a lot of guys, I think, right now that, you know, are, kind of fit that mold where you, you develop them in the bullpen and then you kind of see how it goes. And, and that's where this article that you wrote up and did a great job on identifying some of these prospects is, is linked in the description of the podcast here or on the YouTube video, no matter uh, wherever you're looking at this. But Let's start talking about some of these prospects that could be options, because this really can be something that helps boost a team. We saw it last year, right? Beyond Badu, how about what Garrett Whitlock was for the Red Sox? I mean, right, yeah. besides the part where you know he was hurt and had to come back from injury, when he was healthy, he was one of the best and only positive pieces in what was a pretty bad bullpen for a majority of the year. He was fantastic. Like there's definitely an ability to find a diamond in the rough, especially in the bullpen side of things. But like we said earlier, there's some really interesting offensive prospects. I want to start with, with a pirate. And I know there's a couple pirates, but one guy that, you know, I had going into this year on top 100 watch. And he obviously faded quite a bit from there, uh, given that he just didn't quite um, make any improvements with the quality of his stuff. And, and the command still a question. He's 22 years old. It's Tanaj Thomas incredible athlete can bump it up to hundred, mostly tops out at 98, but it's pretty effortless in the mid nineties has a good slider when he's commanding it. And, you know, he's got great stuff and he, he's a guy that also made the move from the infield to the mount. So, you know, he's a good athlete and you know that he's still very raw. So, you know, a, a new organization, maybe, see something that maybe the pirates were missing and might unlock something with him. That's a guy that I'm looking at as like, like a prime candidate to turn things around or at least take things to another level. And I'm putting that guy in my bullpen. No problem. I'm expecting Tanaj to go uh, because he kind of fits that exact profile that we were talking about. Yeah. So before the 40 man roster was even announced for the pirates, I said that Tanaj is going to end up being a back of the bullpen reliever. Um, he's a very interesting guy. So the pirates acquired him from the guardians a few years back. Um, he has spent each of the last four seasons in rookie ball. So he hasn't really moved throughout the organization to well, um, this is because of just a, a couple of injuries and stuff. But, you know, he has a fastball that can reach triple digits at times and sit in the upper 90s and also a slider. Um, as you mentioned, he had a tough year at high A this year. Um, pitched 60 innings, 16 starts. 
Um, his FIP was a 6.49 and his ERA was a 5.19, um, yeah. a walk rate of 12.5. So not great. Um, but he's definitely a guy who you look at the stuff and you can say, Hey, let's put him in the bullpen and just see what he can do. I mean, he's six, four, 190 pounds and was, was a plus runner as an infielder. So I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy that, you know, again, I typically really like those converted infielders to pitchers like Josiah Gray, of course, Jacob DeGrom. And it's not to say that he's going to be like that, but there's a level of athleticism that sometimes things just click for these guys and, and they're able to repeat their mechanics once they iron that out. And I'm really interested to see that because, you know, Tanaj does have a quality slider when he's commanding it. He does have that electric fastball. And if somebody can, you know, whatever team takes him can kind of help take that stuff to the next level. Yeah, he could be a really, really darn good pitcher at the back end of a bullpen. I, I think it's it's worth noting too that he was mostly focused on starting. So maybe focusing on two pitches and focusing as a reliever where there's not as much pressure on the command, that could be all, all he needs. And again, one of the younger guys uh, in this situation because he was signed so young out of the Bahamas as that infielder. So at only 22 years old, you're still getting somebody who's who's pretty darn young with still plenty, plenty of upside. Uh, a couple other arms I wanted you to just kind of talk about whoever stands out to you the most. And then I'm really interested to talk about the offensive side of things, because like we said, it's rare to have offensive prospects. Usually it's, it's because of weird circumstances like Josh Hamilton and some of his issues that he had off the field that allowed him to be uh, unprotected in the rule five draft. Or you look at some other players like Dan Ugla, where I still to this day don't really understand why he wasn't protected because he hit 30 jacks in the minor leagues right before that. Sometimes there's just weird situations where teams just you know value guys way less. To finish up on the arms, you know, who really stands out to you? Because there's definitely some guys that I think could slot into that uh, back end of the rotation type and take a flyer on them. I typically t- tend to see sinker ball guys, pitch to contact guys being the types of pitchers that we see out of this rule five, uh, generally speaking. And there's a couple guys like that, but there's also some good swing and miss back end bullpen guys who stands out the most to you. Yeah. So I have two guys. Um, the one is a pirate. His name is Omar Cruz. He was acquired in the Joe Musgrove trade this year. He made seven starts at high a, and then got moved up to double a where he made 14 starts. He had a three, four, four ERA at double a with a four eleven FIP and, um, a 19.9 K rate. But the thing that I like about him and a comp that I have for him is uh, Ranger Suarez of the Phillies. They have a similar build. I believe Ranger 6'1", Omar is 6 foot. Um, They have a similar pitch repertoire, and they just hit their spots. They don't have overpowering stuff. He has a high 80s, low 90s fastball. It was kind of a situation where the Pirates didn't have enough room to put him on the roster, same with Tanaj. So he ended up getting left off and they're praying that, that nobody takes him. but he's a guy who could make major league starts at this point. He might, you know, struggle and that's expected for a guy like him, but definitely after um, his rule, his rule five eligibility is up. He could get sent back down to the minors, continue his development, and he could turn into a pretty decent major league starter. The other guy, and I've been talking about him for a while, his days, Bell Hernandez of the uh, Atlanta Braves organization. He's a guy kind of like Tanaj Thomas. He is three years older. He's 25 who has a electric fastball um, can reach 
I believe 101 was his maximum last year. He sat about 97, plays really well up in the zone, has excellent ride. Um, From what I've heard, he has pretty good spin rates. And he also gets a ton of ground balls and strikeouts, which this is what kind of stood out to me. So in 32 and two-thirds innings at AA this year, he had a 34.1K rate and a 55.9 ground ball rate. So the majority of his outs were by way of strikeouts and ground balls. And as we've seen in the major league level, that's extremely effective. He also has a slider, which can be above average. And, you know, at 25 years old, he's a seasoned minor league vet. And I definitely see a team taking a chance on him probably relatively early in the draft. I'm with you 100% on that because when I look at Daisbell Hernandez's stuff, that stuff plays. I mean, I'm looking at the fastball averaging. I mean, this is averaging 97 miles per hour. I mean, and you talk about the spin rates, almost 2,400 RPMs on that pitch. He's got stuff that even that baseline with the heater, you, you can't really teach. And then a slider that was effective for him. And like you said, just a good arsenal between those two pitches. I mean, just the fastball and slider alone, he, he should be able to have a decent deal of success. And you mentioned that the action that he's able to get with the ground balls, you never know. You might be able to kind of develop a third pitch for this guy and, and make him a starter. The fact that there's an outside shot that he could figure it out that way too it is interesting. He's 5'10", 220, which I, I think there's a new revolution too of the guys that have a low release point and a ton of life on their stuff and spin rates where it just even more so looks like it's rising with the slider off of that. That's a tunneling nightmare for hitters. I really like this pick by you. I think this is somebody that could be not only a steal here, but could be a big league closer with that kind of stuff, like legitimate big league closer. And you imagine if he's more in short spurts to continuing to just sustain upper nineties with his stuff, this is a really, really interesting uh, prospect here and, and a guy I really like uh, to be one of the first arms off the board. Is there anyone that you think can really have staying power in a rotation potentially? Like who's the, who's the outside chance starter? Because I got a name in mind and I'm curious uh, who, who you think. Yeah, for me, um, Matt Tabor's a guy who kind of sticks out to me as a guy who could pitch towards the back end of a rotation. Um, some other names, you know, Seth Corey wasn't, protected by the Giants. He's a top prospect for them. Um, and then possibly Brady Feigl. Um, yeah, that's he, what I was thinking. A, yeah, so he's very interesting. He has a high spin rate sinker um, and a few other secondary offerings that could be decent at the big league level. He's a guy who could just eat up innings for you. Mm-hmm. Um, probably mm-hmm. upside back end, back end starter. So he he's another guy. Um, Tim Kate with the Washington nationals, maybe um, he started in the past and he was a pretty high prospect for depleted farm system, but you know, uh, you, you don't really know how that's going to work out. But honestly, this year, there are a few names who could remain starters. Yeah. Kate makes me a little nervous. His fastball just looks, looks really hittable. Um, yeah. But, yeah. It's like high eighties, I believe. Yeah. And just so. flat, but he's got a good curve yeah. and you know, I, that that's somebody I'm probably staying away from, but some of the other names, yeah. like you mentioned, I think Fagel interesting just because like you, like you said, when, when you have that, I guess, spot starter swing man type, he seems to be that guy pitch to contact, get ground balls. Yeah. He's probably going to get lit up on occasion. We're talking about a rule five draft pick here. Uh, and, and if you're a rebuilding team, take a flyer. This guy's going to eat innings for you. Uh, that's a guy that I expect to come off the board too. Corey has nasty stuff, but he can't really command it. And he's somebody that I think since being drafted, 
you know, boosted his stock and then kind of now has seen his stock slide a little bit. But as a lefty with with a nasty breaking ball, I, I could see a team taking a chance on him. But let's say you're a team with a track record of developing pitching. That's somebody that I'm looking towards as, you know, maybe I can figure that guy out. And, and I'm interested to see if any teams are willing to bet on, bet on themselves in that regard. Speaking of betting on yourself, there's no instance, I think, in the Rule 5 draft where it's more so of a bet on your development than if you take a catcher. I don't know if you have this information, but I can't even think of the last time a catcher was taken in the Rule 5 draft. One, because they're generally protected. Two, if they're not protected, they're usually way far off, right? There's no in-between with catchers, especially on the offensive side of things, but even on the defensive side of things too. It's very black and white. You're big league ready or you're not. Uh, And the catching position is pretty clear with that on both sides of it. But we have two guys that I think you could justify uh, taking a flyer on if you're a team that is desperate for catching. And these are two players that you were joking about it uh, when we were texting before the show, that if you could combine these two guys, uh, you'd probably have a guy that wouldn't be a, available in the rule five draft. He'd probably be a pretty darn good prospect, but it's Blake hunt and Josh bro. Blake hunt. I'm a big fan of defensively. Um, I think he does have some offensive upside, but right now, I mean, I watched him swing through so many fastballs as I was looking back at the video, just like I said, hole in his swing pretty much is what we kind of described it as. And I think he has the ability to hit, uh, but right now it's just, it looks like the barrels dragging. He's just not catching up to velo, but he is a great defender. And I've heard nothing but incredible things about the way he calls games, his makeup, his intelligence behind the dish. And those are things that, you know, like, let's be real. Backup catchers can't hit a lick anyways. So if he's even a 180 hitter, but is a phenomenal defensive catcher who calls a great game, you could maybe justify taking a chance on a cheap backup catcher there uh, if the defense is as advertised and if he is as polished as advertised. Generally, you want a veteran in that role, though. So it is a bit tough. Josh Bro. It's kind of the opposite of that. He hit a ton of bombs this year, uh, but does come with some defensive questions over with the Yankees. Hunt is with the Rays, so two AL East prospects here. We'll start with Hunt. I know you watched him play. I think you watched him homer. Uh, There's definitely some upside there. He was a fringe top 100 guy for me, too. I'd say he was probably top 150 coming into the year, and I really liked him as a piece in that Blake Snell deal, and he was a guy that the Rays really like. I was surprised to see him. Uh, not get protected, but I think that was more so a testament to the Rays roster crunch than a lack of of uh, value uh, for the Rays and Blake Hunt. Somebody had to be the odd man out, and I think they're willing to bet on somebody not selecting a catcher here. I think it's more so that than a lack of value uh, or belief in him as a prospect. Yeah, so with Hunt, I saw him play, I believe, about like three or four games last season. And when I go and I see prospects live – I don't like to focus on the game. I like to just focus on what they do, watch everything that they do. So for about four innings, I just watched Blake Hunt the whole time. And that started in the first inning, and I can speak to his makeup. Every single game, he came out and he shook the umpire's hand, said, hey, I'm Blake, and then called a great game. Um, You know, he was blocking left and right. He threw out, I believe, two runners, um, yeah, two or three runners the time I was there. And, you know, just that's in high a really good game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's in high A yep. with the weird with the weird I, base running rules. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I believe. Yeah, he, he didn't go to college. Correct. He was a high school pick. high school guy because he, he wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he's he's been around the minors for a while. 
The Rays acquired him in the Blake Snell deal, but he's a guy who you can, you know, dream on with the power mm-hmm. possibly developing. I was fortunate enough to get a home run of his on, on camera. Um, just so happened to be the app at that I filmed, but he calls a great game. He blocks balls. He throws guys out and at 23 and he's been in the minors for, you know, quite a while as all these guys have been, it's a guy who, if you pick to be a backup catcher, it would work out for you defensively. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, there just has to be a level of competitiveness offensively. And, you know, he had, he was good enough if you were seeing these types of uh, numbers at the big league level, but this is high a where he's hitting 225, 307, 427. And he did walk a decent amount, did hit nine home runs in 59 games. But when he got that promotion to double a, he was just blatantly overmatched. He couldn't catch up to anything. 125 batting average, a nine, nine, like single digit nine WRC plus and uh, no extra base hits. So, or two, two doubles, that's it in 63 plate appearances. So it was rough for him. It was rough for him in double a. And I think that's why the Rays are willing to bet on, on a team, just not, uh, not really taking a chance on him being in the big leagues, because this is somebody that legitimately was, 91% 91% below average uh, at double a. And I think that the, the offensive struggles are just going to be too much uh, for a team to take a chance on him, but you never know. Uh, again, it's, it's one of those things where if you see something in his swing, something you think you can adjust, it could happen. The, the defense, I don't think is in question. Like you said, there's plus raw power. So you're hoping for a Mike Zanino type of outcome, but you know, he's got a long way to go to even become that. And if I'm betting on it, I'm going to say that a team probably does not select him, uh, but w- would it shock either of us? I don't, I don't think so. Just because of his makeup behind the dish a little bit on Josh bro, who hit 23 homers uh, last se- last season between single a and double a and high a double a he's got major power. We know that the, the kind of offensive upside he has, he's pretty athletic, but just he moves well, but just has not quite put it together totally defensively behind the dish, mostly on the receiving side of things. This is somebody that I could see a team more so taking a chance on. And I know it seems a bit backwards, but his defense, I don't think is such a liability that, you know, you're just not even considering him sticking a catcher. Like I think there's still a chance that he sticks a catcher and that might be enough for a team to take a shot on him. I mean, this is a guy that hit 23 home runs. Yeah. So bros, very interesting with the power potential and possibly down the road. If MLB decides to go with an automated strike zone, you don't have to be the best pitch framer. Um, More teams are going to look for strong arms behind the plate, which he does have one. The interesting thing with both of these teams, the Rays and the Yankees, is that they had a pretty hard time with clearing roster spots for some of these prospects to protect, especially the Rays. I think the Rays and probably the Guardians were the two teams that had the most trouble making room. I think the Guardians ended up designating like 10 players for assignment and adding 10 players, which was. Yeah, yeah, they they went nuts. I think it might have been 11. Yeah, it was definitely north of double digits. But um, yeah, with Hunt, I mean, if a team sees a lot in him, if they see the upside, if they're pretty high on him, I think he might go towards the back end of round one, maybe early round two. Because like we said, $100,000 isn't a lot of money. And hey, if you don't like him, if he doesn't work out, you could just offer him back to his team and then attempt to pass him through waivers. So like, like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, rule five is, is pretty, you know, not risky at all um, because you can 
just offer a player back. He could go to a new organization. So it's kind of like a tryout. But with Bro, I would probably be more inclined to select him just because of the bad upside. Yeah, the real risk really is whoever you're giving up to open that roster spot. And so if you don't have anybody that, you you know, if you have a lot of – I guess fat to trim for lack of a better word on your roster, on your 40 man and on your active roster, then, you know, then, then it's a no brainer to try to keep that player or to go get that guy. Like for the tigers, I think the Badu example is, is a perfect example because they took a calculated risk because they knew that the 26, all 26 active roster spots weren't that important to them. Uh, the Detroit tigers, that is somebody that I would absolutely in a heartbeat, take a chance on, I think as an offensive prospect, I think that you look at the St. Louis Cardinals and they, they just kind of said, look, we're pretty set offensively at first base. And even if we have a DH in the NL, we're fine. And so they decide not to protect Luke and Baker. Luke and Baker's got big time power. I mean, we're talking plus plus raw power. He's first base DH type. But assuming that the, the DH is going to make its way to the National League, which makes things interesting here, too, because you have probably this this rule five draft happening as we've talked about it off the air it technically doesn't apply to the cba uh, because it's all minor league stuff so i don't know if they're going to push it back till after the cba it seems like they might not you don't know if there's going to be a dh in the nl or not i'm going to bet on it happening and if i'm a team that's that's starving for some offense luke and baker makes some sense i mean the guy's 24 college guy hit 26 jacks in double a this year in 91 games he tr- struck out 26% of the time, but I wouldn't call that egregious. He walks about 10% of the time to offset that. And then, I mean, 26 home runs is 26 home runs. 121 WRC plus made it up to AAA for a two-game cameo uh, before the season ended and ha- had a, some success in those two games. So this is somebody that, to me, you know, you're looking at a big power bat. Yes, he's limited. Yes, there's some Seth Beer similarity there. I think I like Seth Beer's bat a little bit more, uh, but why not take a shot on this guy's offensive upside if, if you're a team? I, I'm just imagining like the Rockies and Luke and Baker in Colorado. I mean, you saw what CJ Crone did out there. For the Rockies, why not? You know, why not just throw this guy in course? You know he's going to hit homers. He might hit 220, but you know he's going to hit probably 30 jacks in a major league season. And why not give it a shot and see what happens? Luke and Baker seems like a lock to get selected to me. What do you think? Yeah, I think he's probably a lot to get selected. He's a very interesting player, was kind of a college baseball legend at TCU. Um, His lowest WRC plus in a season is 115. So he's never really struggled to hit the ball. Um, He gets on base at a decent amount for what his batting average was. Um, In double A, he had an on-base percentage of 322 compared to a 248 uh, batting average. Like you said, only strikes out. 26% of the time. And for a power hitter like that, I would kind of expect it to be a little bit more, but that's, you know, it's pretty decent with an almost 10 walk rate. It does work. And with 26 homers, he's a guy who, like you said, the Rockies, um, maybe an NL or sorry, an AL team, but if the NL gets a DH, which it doesn't look like we'll know, um, I have heard that the rule five will probably happen around the time that they're, they're saying, because they're, the winter meetings would happen for the minor leagues if there's a lockout. So he's a guy who could slot into a lineup, maybe a bench bat, but probably slot into a lineup and, you know, just hit for power, probably a low average guy. But, you know, just just a guy who can who can hit the ball far. And a side note on him, I've never seen a 20 rated runner 
on the 20 to 80 scale. <laughs> yeah, it's almost insulting, right? <laughs> yeah, you you can't do crazy. that. Give the poor guy a 30. Just give him yeah. a 30. Yeah, <laughs> he, he must really not move well. No. Um, but another interesting little tidbit on him is that, you know, we talk about how in the bullpen you can stash guys a little bit and you can protect them a little bit and put them in, in situations for success. Luke and Baker murders lefties uh, last year, put up a 264, 357, 681 slash line against lefties. So that's that's over a 1000 OPS. So you talk about, OK, maybe he's not playing every day. That's somebody that you could platoon in a DH first base spot and have as a bench bat to crush lefties. We saw how much that that mattered for the Dodgers with Albert Pujols. I mean, he could serve an Albert Pujols type of role for a team. I'm not saying he's going to be Albert Pujols, but maybe 43-year-old Albert Pujols or however old he, he actually is. Uh, you know, that's what he could be. I think that, again, when you can protect him and have him as a bench bat, at the very least, if this is a guy who crushes lefties off your bench, Every team needs a guy like that. I mean, even the freaking Dodgers do. Uh, this is, it just makes too much sense, especially when you can un- unload him uh, against left-handed pitchers who, you know, obviously don't want to face him. He was pretty darn good against him. So I-, I like Baker a lot. That's somebody that I think you can make the case for almost any team in baseball, scooping up and, and putting right on your bench and, and platooning, uh, especially if you have a guy as a DH or a first baseman that struggles against lefties. If he's a left-handed hitter, it, it seems to make a lot of sense. Any other offensive guys that, that really stand out to you? I know David Willar is another one that, that I think is really interesting. I actually played against him in high school. Guy can really hit. And uh, he put it together this year, big time. I was kind of surprised to see the giants not protect him. Who else really stands out to you? I got two guys for you. One is Ryan Noda of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Very interesting guy. Um, When he was at Cincinnati in college, he never really hit. And this is kind of interesting. So he never really hit in college, goes to the Cape Cod League, doesn't really hit. Um, The Blue Jays at the time saw something in him. So they selected him in the 15th round. Probably, you know, they saw the upside of being an organizational guy. Maybe he works out. He's never not hit for his four seasons in professional baseball. Here, here are his WRC pluses, 190, 160, 138, 139 for each of his four years. So this guy coming into pro ball has been extremely effective. And last year was no different. He hit 29 homers, only struck out 26.7% of the time. He walked 15.6% of the time and his slash was 250, 383, 521. That's a 904 OPS. So this is a guy who you can take probably towards, you know, the middle of the draft and just see if his bat translates in the big leagues because in professional baseball, he's never not hit. He's a lefty guy. He's played first base in left field. So he can kind of, you know, maybe platoon in those spots or just get some bench at bats. The other guy for me is Michael Stefanik. Very interesting guy. He was not drafted. He was an undrafted free agent. Definitely had some really good years, um, including last year. So in AAA and AA, he split some time. But in AAA, he had a 130 WRC plus. And listen to this slash line, 334, 408, 505. So a 300, 400, 500 slash line with 16 bombs. So this is a guy who also doesn't strike out. He's played all over the infield, including some outfield corner spots. So possibly if he gets selected, he could be a super utility type that can be very valuable to a team. 
Yeah, you know, that that was a surprising one for me, Stefanik, because you look at a lot of the, the situations where certain prospects that aren't protected, like the Giants. It, the Giants have a lot of really important prospects on their 40-man and a ton of big league talent, and they're a deep team already on the active roster, so you can kind of understand that. But when I look at someone like Stefanik, that's somebody offensively that I'm feeling pretty confident about as a, a Rule 5 guy that at the very least can be that utility guy, like you mentioned. He showed that he can hit AAA pitching. Uh, the power really ticked up with the big league baseballs. Some guys really see that happen for them when you have the big league balls. Yes, he was playing, uh, you know, in what was formerly a lot of the stadiums in the PCL. So I would scale back the power. I, I assume that he'd be more of a 10 to 12, maybe 15 home run guy in a full season scale, probably more in the 10 to 12 range, but he can hit. He doesn't strike out much, which, you know, gives you some optimism for the big league uh, ability to, to at least survive and tread water. And he walks. So I think he's one of the safer guys. You, you pair in the defensive versatility. You know, he's able to play all over the diamond. He played shortstop. He played third. He's played second base all last year. He even played a couple games in left and in right. Uh, so to me, this has to be. You know, one of the safer, safer options, especially with that super utility ability that, that we can see from him. I'm expecting him to go pretty early. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think teams prioritize arms generally, but I, I'm expecting him to be somebody that a team says, hey, you know, if it doesn't work out as an everyday regular, he can play all over the freaking diamond. And he's a pretty good athlete, too. I, I like this guy to, to be an interesting uh, option for, for any team, really. You could justify him for any ball club. I'm, I'm still very surprised that the Angels didn't uh, add him to the to the 40-man roster. But again, you know, maybe maybe there's a little bit more in-depth detail as to why all those other roster spots made sense for the Angels. And we know how much they want to prioritize pitching here uh, down the stretch. Offense isn't necessarily a big need for them. And they, they need a shortstop. So I don't really see why he didn't get the ad. Um, but, you know, it's definitely interesting. And I think he might be one of the first position players off the board. Yeah, I definitely agree, too. And, and then you got somebody like uh, my good friend Griffin Conine, where we talk about the risk there. You know, he, he really struggled down the stretch in double A, uh, but he also hit 36 home runs. And you can't really teach that. And it's foul pull to foul pull. His spray chart looks like a switch hitter uh, where he's at home runs to all parts of the field. Marlins decide to, you know, bet on the fact that no one's probably going to take a guy that struck out, you know, over 40% of the time in double a, uh, but you also could see a team in a similar type of Badu situation where they say, Hey, you know, we're not going to compete this year. And we could get a potential 40 home run hitter. If we can iron out whatever the kinks are in his approach or his swing, it's probably more likely that a team doesn't take him than takes him, but it's just another example of the kind of upside there is in this rule five. I mean, where you have a guy that just hit 36 home runs in the minors, a K rate aside, like there's just so much talent. I think even on the offensive side that we don't normally see uh, throughout this system uh, to wrap up on the hitters. I know you mentioned Noda. Is, is there anybody else that you think is a really intriguing type of prospect? And also Noda hit close to 30 as well. Right. Yeah, I believe he hit. Let me see. I 29 right now. 29, 29, 29. 29. So, I mean, we're yeah. talking about guys that all hit over 25 plus homers. There's several of them. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's an interesting spot to be in uh, to wrap up here. You know, you have the first pick in the rule five. Who are you taking? For me, um, like I said before, the rule five is very pitcher heavy. I would go with days. Bell Hernandez personally. And on the offensive side. 
the offensive side, Michael Stefanik, who we just talked yep. about, um, it, yep. it, you know, it just makes sense. You have a guy who can hit um, very versatile on defense. And I don't really see a reason why a team wouldn't want a guy like that on the roster. I but agree. back to Conine real quick. Um, if we get the high A version of Griffin Conine, that's probably his upside at the big league level. So he had 23 homers in 66 games. He struck out 35% of the time. Okay. But 16 percent walk rate his slash was 247 382 587 and that 587 slugging is where he's going to have the most value hitting the ball very hard and very far so yeah him um possibly carlos rincon with the mets he's an interesting guy he's somebody who hit 22 homers but you know his wrc pluses look good he could be probably a back-end pick in the rule five this year yeah, you know, and, and that's the that's the big challenge here, right? Is like Griffin's a perfect example of, you know, that guy, you know, I, I think, you know, he gets some more at-bats in double A. I'm biased. He's my friend, but I think that, you know, for transparency's sake, but I, I think that, you know, he'll continue to develop and, and end up being great. I don't know how he'll do if he goes straight to the big leagues. Like, we'll have more at his disposal, but that's a big shock for a guy who just struggled in double A. Um, you know, I know that he would be thrilled and, and excited for the opportunity, but it'd be a good, it'd be a good challenge. And, you know, that's where it's like, okay, that kind of encapsulates the rule five draft, right? It's so much safer to just go with the the guy that throws a hundred and throw him in the bullpen and see what happens. Then like, okay, let's see if this guy can hit a uh, big league pitching, which is just so hard with the strikeout epidemic in the big leagues already. Uh, but like you talk about with the upside of Conan, you, you could argue offensively. I mean, I don't know if there's anybody with that kind of offensive upside, 117 mile per hour exit vehicles. You can't really teach that stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how teams approach a rule five draft where you generally don't see that kind of offensive upside. One more name that didn't make, uh, didn't make the cut for your article. And I'm fairly positive uh, did not get protected uh, that I like, I think is interesting and similar to the Stefanski type is Carlos Cortez. I was curious what your thoughts are there. We, we might need to add him in before we publish the article, unless I missed him. He's, he's rule five eligible, right? So, yeah, I actually saw him play this year. Um, he is rule five eligible and I did look into him a little bit. I, the infield list was getting a little bit long, but yeah. So last year in double a, he played in 79 games, hit 14 jacks, a 120 WRC plus. So he's another hit for some power um, plays multiple positions and yeah, could probably be a pick. Yep. That's another name with the Mets over there. You know, a guy left-handed bat can play second base, shortstop, third base outfield. Like it's, it's safe uh, on that side of things, but the upside is, is somewhat limited. And it seems like that's, that's more of the typical rule five target. But if I'm a team like the Rockies again, I think I'm just going to keep citing the Rockies because uh, we just talked about them in the last episode. Why not maybe take a Conine? No, like, why not? If it doesn't work, yeah. you return him for 50K. But you throw that guy at altitude, you, th- you throw that dude at altitude, who knows what he could do? I mean, like, every flyout turns into a home run. His dad, by the way, Jeff, uh, we talked about it on the podcast on Outside the Box. Jeff was like a 407 hitter in like 140 plate appearances at Coors Field. So, so you know, I, he always talked about how he wanted to get picked by the Rockies and not the Marlins in the expansion draft. And obviously it worked out for him in Miami. Uh, but, you know, if I'm the Rockies, I'm looking at these offensive prospects here and I'm saying, let's take a shot on one of these big power hitters and, and just see what happens. I mean, CJ Crone really turned it around. Obviously he has a track record of hitting, but you know, a team like that in a hitter friendly environment that has limited talent right now, 
may might be worth some of the guys that typically aren't your generally rule five capable target with uh, the lack of, uh, I guess, track record of hitting through the upper levels. So you'll be able to see this article up at justbaseball.com. It's also in the description here on YouTube or on the podcast and Miller, you have not been on the podcast before. So let people know where it's you, you changed your, you changed your uh, Twitter handle. Yeah. I, I was so surprised my, that this was available. Twitter handle. It was extremely too long. So I just typed in a bunch of words into the Twitter, like username and came out prospects, Ryan. So that's what I'm at on Twitter prospects, Ryan. Um, I do cover, college baseball prospects mostly. And I have been doing some uh, off season outlooks, but before we end um, we've been talking the whole time about, you know, how much risk goes into some of these players. And I just wanted to go over a couple player. Yeah. A couple players that the listeners probably know in the big leagues that were rule five selections. Yeah. So the big ones, as you mentioned, Johan Santana, Dan Ugla, Josh Hamilton, but some guys who still play in the majors Dan Winkler, relief pitcher. Sean Gilmartin, I don't think he plays anymore. Adubel Herrera, Delino DeShields. Mark Can is another one. Um, G-Man Choi, Anthony Santander. And then in the minor league portion, which is a whole other animal, Yermin Mercedes was picked in the minor league portion. Yeah, and we'll, we'll see where, where Yermin is now. But, yeah, I mean, it just shows you what, what kind of talent you're able to scoop up here. You know, more likely than not, you know, guys may not succeed, but it's justifiable to take these chances because look at some of the upside here. We're talking about borderline all-star upside and all-stars with, with some of these players. But if you get a Mark Canna, man, like you're in business. Uh, that was one of the really interesting ones recently. And, you know, like we mentioned Whitlock earlier as well. And th- there's several other like interesting relievers, I'm sure, that were like, oh, wait, that guy was a rule five guy. Like it's gotten to that point with how many talented arms. And I think it's only going to continue that way now that everybody uh, throws upper 90s and, and, and has a good out pitch. I mean, you're going to be able to find a lot more uh, diamonds in the rough. So I think that's a really good way to, to close it out here it's to say, who knows? You might find your next uh, Mark Hanna. You might find your next Whitlock here in, in the Rule 5 draft. And if you have any questions, you can direct them at me uh, at RMLateNate on Twitter or at Prospects Ryan on Twitter over here. I still can't believe you got that handle. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're happy to answer it. Again, that article is up at JustBaseball.com. And I'm excited to we'll have you back after the rule five and talk about, you know, some of the surprises, I'm sure there's going to be yeah. some interesting uh, components to it. And it should be pretty fun to recap on the other side uh, real quick. As we finish up a little bit on what you're working on next, because I know you do a little bit of everything, but I'm really excited to see the college baseball uh conference previews uh, ahead of the yeah. season. Uh, we're getting closer and closer starts up in about what, three, four months. And, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. College baseball was so much fun last year, launching in the middle of the season. It was a cool opportunity going out to Omaha. And I felt like there was a lot of buzz around college baseball last year. I'm excited to get that component of our website up and running uh, with a lot more frequent writing and articles uh, yourself and Pete Flaherty and uh, probably one or two other writers by the time we'll, we'll, we'll be spearheading that. And uh, I'm excited to see what we have coming on that side of things. So tease that a little bit. And, and when people can expect to start seeing some of those uh, collegiate uh, conference previews. Yeah. So I've been talking to Pete a lot about what conferences we want to do because, you know, there's a lot of college conferences, obviously. So we're going to start in the first week in December 
Um, and there's, I believe it's 12 weeks until opening day for college baseball. So we're going to have 12 conferences that we're going to go over. Some may have to be multiple articles just because of how many teams are in each conference. But yeah, like I'm going to be working on the Cape this year. It'll be a good opportunity for me to learn these players and kind of get into college baseball because I haven't really before. So this is a learning experience for me, but I think, I think it's going to be some good stuff on the website. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I ended up having to do what you're doing now when I was out in the Cape yeah, just because I had to learn everybody anyway. So I didn't even think about that. It's a good primer for you. You were going to have to do some of that digging anyways, but what I will say uh, to wrap up on that end of things is the Cape really made me fall in love with college baseball. You know, I followed the players after so many of them end up getting drafted a couple of years later, but you just kind of, you just get the bug. And I think you're going to really get that this year. Uh, even getting excited to see some of those players into the Cape, uh, following it along this whole year, it's going to be pretty fun. And, and I'm excited for our coverage on that end of things as well. And Cape Cod League coverage when we get around to that time in the summer. That'll do it for this third edition of the Wednesday Prospects episode. Three episodes. We've had three different guests. We've had the two other hosts of the Just Baseball show. And you're the first non-Just Baseball show host to uh, crack the prospect episode. So appreciate the time Miller and we're going to have a lot more coming your way over the next week or so in terms of the rule five coverage in terms of the last little few days of baseball, I guess, until the work stoppage and some roster moves. Wander Franco getting locked up was a big deal. We'll have an article on that on just baseball.com. We have just baseball hoodies on the site and they've actually been going quickly, which is pretty awesome. So I appreciate those who have already bought the hoodies. You can go check that out. The shop is up at just baseball.com as well. You can also find it in our link tree on any of our social media and keep up with us at just BB media on Twitter. And of course on TikTok. You can find us at just baseball fans on Twitter. Uh, That's where I'm trying to really ramp it up. But Instagram as well. We've got two accounts now. We've got just baseball media, the just baseball show, and both are great. Just baseball show, more fun memes and all that stuff in between and videos and clips of, of course, this podcast. And then just baseball media. We have all the latest news to keep you up to date on everything going on in the baseball world. That's it for today. We'll talk to you tomorrow for the next episode of the just baseball show. And that'll be it. Miller, give them a little thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. (laughs) At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.